0: Welcome to Red Cloaks Radio and this is Jesse. Today is June 29th, 2020. It's been a big day already in the news, but exciting for today I'm having a conversation with a brand new guest. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. I live in Falmouth on Cape Cod and I'm calling from, from my home.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. So um, right now, Red Cloaks Radio is in a special period where we are counting down the days to see if the Massachusetts legislature will or will not pass the Roe Act. And we're just kind of documenting how different people in the Commonwealth elsewhere are observing the national scene as well as the statewide scene and and local matters. Um, Have you been following the Roe Act?
1: I certainly have, most definitely.
0: Uh, so when did you start paying attention to it?
1: <laughs> I came from a family of incredibly strong women. So I can't remember after Roe was passed when I wasn't aware of it. So um, <laughs> okay. it, it's been there.
0: It's been on the radar screen quite a bit. Oh, and, oh, then, yes. <laughs> and then, And um, then in terms of the state, have you been following the, if you want to call it progress, um, on the legislation that's been brought forward? I mean, it was brought forward last January. Right. So it's been a while
1: yes I have been following it um, how do I do I feel hopeful um, I always feel hopeful it's the only way that you can put one foot in front of the other so yeah I feel hopeful
0: so you said your family is a lot of a lot of strong women I'm interested in that what does that mean
1: my well it'll it'll go right into the story of, of why I feel so strongly about this um, my mother was born in Scranton Pennsylvania in 1909 And I am named after my mother's mother. My mother's mother's name was Rose, I am Richard. But I never met my grandmother. And I never met my grandmother because she died of an abortion in 1913. My mother was four years old at the time. So three babies were left um, because of that abortion. Um, I also, to to go ahead, I I find it difficult to to comprehend that 107 years later, we're still talking about this, but we are. Anyway, uh, my mom was raised by the five sisters of her mother. In other words, my grandmother was one of six sisters. She died and the other five sisters. All those five women became incredibly successful, incredibly powerful women, all on their own there's was not a time when women flourished. So I, I, there's two things involved here. I sort of always had a longing for the fact that I never met the woman, got a chance to meet the woman I was named after um, because of an abortion. And I was raised by women who were completely independent and self-sufficient. When I talk to women now, I, I don't know what to say that we're a century later and we are still, you're asking me how I feel about Roe, the state of Massachusetts. I can't believe we're having this conversation. It just baffles me.
0: So you said um, your grandmother had three kids already?
1: Yes. And
0: and so do you know anything about the circumstance of how she made the decision or or, is there any family history about it?
1: Yeah, of course, I didn't know anything about this until I was old enough to comprehend it. and My mother didn't tell me about it until I was an adult. Um, the, her, her, she had a brother and a sister, and at the time of the abortion, they were aged five, four, and three. So along, she became pregnant again, and she just couldn't face that they were, they were quite poor. This is Scranton, Pennsylvania. You were either worked in the coal mines or you worked on the railroad. Mines are on fire. Um, she decided to have an abortion. It was not in a hospital. Um, she basically bled to death and that was it. So um, from that point on, my mother had to, my mother was without a mother, so she had to, to, figure it all out on her own. Um, when she had me um, in 1945, um, she didn't have anybody to tell her how to be a mother. So she had to figure it all out. It's, it's, um, it's a sad story, but it's not, it's not a unique story. Um, it's happened to other people, and I'm certain. It's just that I've always had a longing to meet Rose when I was, when I was younger, and not given that opportunity. It's it's sort of um, um, something was taken from me that I feel um, a certain amount of, I guess anger is the wrong word, but um, I, I'm certainly not at peace with it. And now, as I said, I'm talking to you about it a hundred and some odd years later.
0: So. It's so interesting because when you first talked about it, it made me think about the Supreme Court decision that came down today. Mm -hmm. Because part of what happened in Louisiana's law is Louisiana's um, state government Try to sort of build up this idea that abortions are inherently dangerous. Some people could take your family experience and become really anti-abortion and feel like, oh, the abortion killed her, as opposed to seeing the point of view that she was trying to exercise her own control over her family and her family planning. And access to safe legal abortion could have saved her life. At, at what age did you, did you get to hear the whole story?
1: I was about um, somewhere between 25 and 30. Before she told me about it,
0: do you um, remember and do you remember like sort of i'm I'm curious, do you remember like what maybe brought it to mind or why she decided to share it then?
1: My mom had a very difficult life, and um her early life, not after she married my father, but her early life was very difficult, and she had traumatic experiences that she sort of unburdened herself with with me. I had a brother, but she and I were especially close from different points in my adult life, she sort of just felt a need to unburden herself. I, I can't give you an exact answer as to why she felt at that time it was the right time, or, or any time. Why did she have to tell me about it? She felt a need to tell me about it, and she did. And of course, um, she was very, very strongly, as you can imagine, pro-choice. Um, this was a woman who lived to the age of 91 and read the New York Times almost until the day she died. So she had very strong opinions on this subject.
0: I'm wondering how you've um, absorbed this and how it's changed your own activism or the actions you've taken, because it clearly has resonated for you as part of the frame of your whole life.
1: It, it has. Um, I... Um, I am married to a a woman who is quite active in the women's, very active in the women's movement. So, um, by way of supporting her actions and her involvement and doing whatever I can do in the groups that she's involved with and that I'm involved with too, but she has sort of taken the lead. And the reason she's taken the lead is she's a lot, she's like you in that she's a lot more, she's a lot better with. With face to face. I get a little bit confrontational on certain subjects, which is not good all the time. And uh, she doesn't, she can handle it. So um, I I am extremely involved through my wife.
0: Well, I think maybe it takes both. It depends on sort of the moment in history that we're at we're at a moment in history where it does seem like you need to be much more direct. I know I wouldn't have had this conversation with you, with someone I hadn't met a year ago, even it feels to me like, um, being in a blue state or what's perceived as a blue state, and then finding our legislature not take action Mm -hmm. for over a year on something that seems like something that should not be so difficult to move forward on. Um, it's definitely made me step outside my comfort zone because, stories need to be told. People need to get the information in front of them about how our process works.
1: Yeah, and I've been in Massachusetts, not constantly, but I first came to Massachusetts in 63. And I've been here on and off. I've been here for the last, oh, I don't know, 18, 19 years. But um, (laughs) the one thing about Massachusetts is when I got here in 63, it was controlled by the church. And no matter how, how much we progress, and we're unique in in this, we're still controlled by the Roman Catholic Church. And that has a lot to do with what's going on. And the entire movement with um, hospitals that are affiliated with a specific religion will not perform abortions due to religious, well, I'm not asking the the, the chairman of the board of the hospital to perform the abortion. If if a doctor (laughs) wants to perform the abortion in a hospital that is owned by the church it's a doctor's choice. It's not, um, it's not the choice of the board of directors. So these are the type of situations that I get involved with and where the confrontation takes place.
0: That is it's interesting to think about both the religious, the religious sort of oh, yeah. history of the state, but also um, how it impacts people right now in terms of who, who will or will not provide a full range of reproductive health care services.
1: Yeah. It. it, it it has always it's strange, we're an incredibly progressive state. I mean, when it when it comes to the LBGT community, I mean, we had P Town long before and nobody in the state cared. I mean it was we had Barney. Couldn't say anything bad about Barney, you know, but we've always had that that shadow of of religion hanging over the state, which has impacted greatly in women's reproductive rights.
0: So because we've just sort of dived in and just met right now, but um, if it's okay, I'm just going to put this out there. I sure. know in some of my um, protest sort of work with the Boston Red Cloaks, we've noticed something. It's it's going to reveal gender bias, and I'm sorry, but you seem like a good person to chat about it with. Okay. Um, one thing we've kind of noticed after we've gone out in Boston and, and raised awareness of what's happening is in the end we're often most struck by some of the support we receive from white men who are somewhere between you know 40 and 60 or you know and and we debrief at the end of each each time we go out and it's interesting because you're kind of in the demographic and there is there's a there's a perception that you start to take in as a woman when you see a lot of the elected legislators who are the same demographic but who are so anti-choice and so disrespectful, and and there's not a lot of um, popular culture images of men speaking the way you're speaking today. So I'm kind of putting it out there because I'm curious when you're talking to other people if you feel like you are unusual, or if you feel like maybe media doesn't portray reality.
1: No, I think I think it's it's not that I am unusual. I am not in the majority. Um, I am I, also active in white ribbon campaign, uh, domestic violence. And I, it's just men that I am involved with. And that is perceived as a woman's issue, domestic violence. Well, it's a man's issue. It's a men's issue, really. I mean, men are the ones who are perpetrated domestic violence. So we're the ones that have to instigate the change. Basically, the same thing that, that you're talking about here, in that although women's reproductive rights are are women's reproductive rights. As men, we have to, we have to be active in it. I mean, there is there is no way in the world that taking away a right from my my wife, whether it's a reproductive right or a right to vote, is not my concern. I mean it's it's a human concern. It's it's something that we all have to be involved in. So I think that if you questioned a lot of men, old white men, which I am, um, they probably agree with you, but they won't voluntarily come out and 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 take the step forward. They just won't. Um, they're you know, they're too busy with what the Patriots are gonna do the next week or something like that. It's it's just it's, it's not on their front burner when um, maybe it's because of who brought me up. It it is on my but there's a lot of guys like me out there. I'm not I'm not that unique. Um, I know my friends, the men who were my friends, agree with me, whether they are as vocal about it, I don't know, when when they're with their families. Lots of them, don't forget, I have lots of friends who would agree with you and I, but they have Trump voters in their families, you know, sons-in-laws or things like that. I, I don't know how much is talked about during the family gatherings, but they're out there. They're out there. You just have to get to them. I don't know how, but got to get to them.
0: Well, hopefully this kind of conversation, I think one thing we hope is that the podcast format lets people check in and listen and perhaps take a walk and hear some new voices in their head, literally, and reflect on what people are thinking and maybe break down some of the stereotypes and and that's our hope.
1: It's true, and the story I told you about my grandmother—I bet you it's not a unique one, because that time, 1913, I am certain that there are other men walking around out there with a similar story.
0: Well, and it's a reminder why we want to tell our children and their children our stories, Very so true. that they really do know what the struggles are like, and it's. Um, going to add meaning for them the rest of their lives. I really appreciate your taking time to talk
1: today. Joy.
0: Just fantastic. Um, You're very welcome. Thanks for being out there.
1: Okay. thank you for doing it.